You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You know, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, I mentioned this last time, in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, or more literally, an expected end. So God is here in this place, and He has you on His heart, and He's very concerned about the things that are going on and that affect us. If you've been in the church long enough, you've likely heard Jeremiah 29:11 a number of times. It's popular for a reason. It's a hope-filled, life-giving promise of God, and it contains a truth that we desperately need as we approach the end times described in the book of Revelation. As Pastor Mike will assure us in today's message, you do indeed have a hope and a future in Christ. He doesn't want you to come to harm, but eternity in His presence is worth all the persecution and pain in this world. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 1 as he begins his message, Benediction and Greeting the Seven Churches. First of all, let's go back and I, I want to talk about the title of this book of the Bible. Notice it, we are told it's the revelation. The revelation of who or what? Well, if you read on there, and people seem to miss this, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation or the apocalypse. Now, last time I had mentioned that both of those words, revelation and apocalypse, literally translated, means an unveiling. That is to take off a covering. So I want you to think about that, uh, those words in that way. It is an unveiling of Jesus Christ. And notice it doesn't say the mystery of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the hiding of Jesus Christ. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, to take off a covering. And so Jesus in this particular book of the Bible, is seen like no other place in the Bible. Seen here in his present and future glory. Not as the suffering Savior, remember we talked a little bit about that last time, but rather the Lord of the church and the judge of the world. Now also notice that this revelation of Christ and the record of things to come is given to God's servants. Notice there in verse 1, we are told to show unto his servants. 
Now that's who you are. The word servants, remember also last time, I just want to rehearse it once again, is the Greek word doulos. And it literally refers to a bond slave. Or rather, more accurately, a yielded servant. So these are the things that are revealed to God's yielded servants. And I hope that each and every one of you fall into that uh, category. Now, you know, last time we didn't really talk that much about a bond slave. What was a bond slave? And, and Paul, in fact, often refers to himself as the bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he considered it a delightful bondage. You know, if you think about it, every one of us, everyone in the entire world is a slave to something or someone, right? I would rather be a slave of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful bondage it is to, to serve him. But this word bond slave, or in the Greek doulos, has really an interesting definition attached to it. So I wanted to give you some, some background information. If, in fact, and by the way, during the time in which this particular book of the Bible was recorded, there were 7 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, so Paul knew something about uh, slavery, right? And when he uses that term, a bond slave of, of, of Jesus Christ. But uh, let's say, for example, you owed a debt to someone. Well, if you could not pay that debt back, then you would uh, voluntarily become a slave to the person that you owed the debt to. But in the year of Jubilee, according to the uh, Old Testament scriptures, you, were, you had a choice. Uh, and the person that you owed that debt to in the year of Jubilee had to allow you to be free of your debt. And therefore, you didn't have to continue to remain in bondage uh, to the person that you owed that debt to. But during that time, over the years that you had served your master to pay off that debt, if the master was a good master, let's say, for example, and he took care of you, and he took care of your wife, he took care of your children, he provided housing for you, he put food on your table, and it was actually a good relationship that was beneficial to you and your family, well, in the year of Jubilee, you could rather make a choice to become a bond slave to your master forever. And then they would signify that by you would actually stand in the entrance of the master's uh, home, and you'd put your ear up on the doorpost, and they would drive an earring into your ear, which signified that you were a bond slave to that master forever. And that's the picture that Paul paints when he refers to himself, by the way, as a bondservant or a, a doulos of Jesus Christ. It's a delightful bondage. It's, it, it's, it's a commitment that we make because out of a love relationship. It, it, it's been a beneficial one. And so that's, I hope, who you are. So that's what the scripture is referring to here when we are told to show unto his servants, the doulos, the bond slave, the yielded servant. Now also, so this book is addressed to them, and it's understood by them. And so you don't have to be an educated theologian. You don't have to be some deep thinker or older Christian. 
and uh, contrary to popular opinion, and that's one of the reasons why people shy away from this particular book of the Bible, um, because it's not treated in this fashion, and it's not taught uh, biblically, I, I don't believe, and that's the reason why a lot of people shy away from it. So, you know, you can be a young Christian, just recently have given your life to Christ. But if you're that yielded servant, if you're a bond slave, listen, I guarantee you, you're going to make a connection with these studies. And you'll absolutely understand it. You just need to be someone who has yielded their hearts, their mind, and their body to Jesus for his glory, and God will honor that. And you can be sure that you receive revelation of the book of Revelation. And notice the unique blessing also, and we talked about this last time, attached to this book. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 3. It says, blessed is he who reads. Okay, so we got that covered. We're reading it. Uh, Who hears the words. Okay, we got that covered. I guess every one of you has ears, right? I see them on the side of your heads. Of this prophecy, but then, this is a choice, this is where we come in, and keep those things. And that phrase, keeps those things, can literally be translated, watches over them, which are written in it, for the time is near. So the idea then is that there is a special strength to be found through the understanding of this prophetic message this unveiling, a strength that will prepare and arm us for the conflicts of the days ahead. And listen, folks, let me tell you something. We're living in pretty frightening times, aren't we? This, not only are we dealing with the, the, you know, uh, the virus, but we are dealing with political unrest, the threats of war, the threats of terrorism, So, truly, we are living in frightening times. So, therefore, whenever we come together to study this book of the Bible, we receive two blessings. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean two blessings? I see the one blessing here mentioned, but think about it. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so the blessings of the presence of Christ, right? And then the strengthening for the present and future. So it's a double blessing, right? Jesus is here in this place. Now, you know, I mean, you think about his disciples. And how many times did Jesus stand to keep his disciples from injury and harm? Think about it, during his public ministry. How many times did he keep them from whatever danger uh, might be lurking uh, around them, right? We're trusting in him, and we can be sure of that. So the two blessings, the presence of Jesus Christ, and then the strengthening that will prepare and arm us for the conflict of the days ahead. So the blessings of the presence of Christ, and then the strengthening for the present future, You know, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, I mentioned this last time. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, 
to give you a future and a hope, or more literally, an expected end. So God is here in this place, and he has you on his heart, and he's very concerned about the things that are going on and that affect us. So the idea that he is with us and watching out for us should be an encouragement to us and should strengthen us in our faith. Now, with that said, that's basically what we covered last time. Now, let's go on. And that brings us to our first point this morning, and that is the seven churches. And those seven churches are referred to in in both verses 4 and 11. Now, in verse 4, let's take a look at that in our text, John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible, he's not the writer, remember we made that distinction last time, Uh, it would be absolutely incorrect to refer to John as the writer of this book. He's rather the recorder, because he is the one that this revelation had been passed down to, and then in turn given unto us. Remember, we talked about the order of those things. The Father, to the Son, to the angel, to John, the beloved, and then to the yielded servants. Remember, we talked about that order uh, last time. So therefore, John is just the recorder. And, uh, and, and uh, he received this revelation through a variety of different uh, means. Through direct revelation, God speaking to him, uh, through visions. Uh, we'll get into that as we move on in the progression of our uh, studies. But notice again, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in uh, Asia. Now, the actual list of the names of those churches is recorded for us in verse 11. So quickly turn to verse 11. And this is not a part of our text, but nevertheless, just to make the point, what were those seven churches that Jesus was addressing? Well, notice the list. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, that should raise the question in our minds, why these particular churches? I I, I want you to understand that there were other churches that had already been established. There already had been other churches that existed during this time when John had received this revelation. In fact, some of these churches were not the most prominent of the churches that existed during this day. Some of the more prominent churches were like, for example, Colossae. Remember, Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. Or another church that was more prominent than the ones that are listed here was the church at Galatia. Paul wrote an epistle to uh, uh, the church at Galatia as well. And then there was the church in Antioch. And uh, that... that, uh, brought forth uh, some of the missionary uh, journeys of Paul and and Barnabas that we read about in the book of of Acts. And those churches seem to be more prominent than those that are listed here for us in verse 11. So why is this addressed to a limited number of churches? And why these particular ones? Well, most Bible teachers agree that God chose these seven and let me just stop there for a moment, because I think that it would probably be well to mention 
uh, and refer to biblical numerology. Biblical numerology. And there is such a thing as biblical numerology. And there are certain numbers that represent certain things in the scriptures. And the number seven is uh, a number of completeness. So it refers to completeness. Whereas, like, for example, uh, the number 24 represents governments in the scriptures. So seven represents completeness in biblical numerology. Now, because these seven, God chose these seven because they illustrate seven different sets of conditions which represent the conditions of the church throughout the age. And, and as we go through that, I'll point each, one, each and every one of them to you. Uh, for example, the first church, the church at Ephesus, which notice is the first uh, church mentioned in this list, and then uh, a little later on in our, in our series, we'll take a look at and consider that epistle that was addressed to that particular uh, church. That church at Ephesus represented the apostolic age, or the first century church. And then if you look at the last church that's recorded there for us in the list, the church of Laodicea, that last church in that list represents the last day church, or the church that we're presently uh, members of uh, today. So from the apostolic first century church to the present last days church, they are representative that is all seven of them, of all the churches that will ever exist in character, in faithfulness and unfaithfulness, because during, there, there, were, there was a time when, like, for example, the Church of the Dark Ages, and we'll talk about that, we'll define it, we'll, we're gonna, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll break it down and we'll take a look at church history. There are seven divisions of church history. We'll talk about each one of those divisions as we move on here. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But they are representative of all the churches that will ever exist in character. As we move through them, you'll see that to be true. And faithfulness and unfaithfulness, belief and apostasy. Okay, So we'll take a real close look at the messages that were written to each one. You know, Jesus writes to some of the churches and commends them. And then some of the other churches, he brings certain indictments against them. So the good as well as the bad. Why would we even be concerned about those things? We're not into history. Well, it's a good dose of preventative medicine because we don't want to fall into the same errors that some of those churches that drew the rebuke of the Lord, right? We don't want to be that kind of a church. We want to be the right kind of a church. And therein lies the value of studying the seven epistles to the seven churches. So we will consider the characteristics that drew Christ's commendation and the characteristics that drew Christ's rebuke and warning as well. So that's what the seven churches are all about. Now that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is God's benediction. Okay, let's take a look at that. Let's go back now to verse 4, because there we have listed for us God's benediction. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, I want you to take special notice of this benediction on this opening page. And notice, it's directed towards God's church, isn't it? He's not writing to unbelievers here. He's writing to the churches. What does it say here? John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he's writing to the church. So this would apply to us. We are members of the same church. And what does he say? Well, first of all, he begins there in verse 4, and he says, grace and peace. Which, by the way, grace and peace, uh, many times they're referred to as the Siamese twins of salutation, by the way. And uh, grace was the salutation that was directed towards the Gentiles or the Greeks. That's the way that they would uh, welcome one another or greet one another. And peace, shalom, of course, would be the Hebrew uh, greeting. So you got both. God is addressing both the Gentiles as well as the Jewish believers here. So he addresses them by, first of all, saying grace and peace. Now, let's consider that for a moment. This is really pretty amazing when we consider the things that follow. Well, if you're not familiar with this book of the Bible, you probably don't even know what I'm suggesting here. But if you've read it before, or if this is not the first time that you studied it, well, then you would be absolutely amazed when we consider the things that do follow. What are the things that follow? Well, how about the judgments of God? His wrath being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. He's purging the earth before his second coming. And and there's a lot of space taken up in the book of Revelation as it relates to those things. God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world, purging it, cleansing it, before he comes back with his church to establish his kingdom upon the earth. So, therefore, it would be really odd to greet the church, right? Grace and peace. That is, if the church was here. But you see, the church isn't here. So this is just another, I believe, evidence of the fact that the church is going to be raptured before the seven years of tribulation breaks out upon the face of the earth. This is just one of many evidences. And as we go through the book of Revelation, I'll always cross-reference it for you, and and I'll, I'll give you more reasons to believe that the church is not going to be here during the seven years of tribulation. Remember last week we talked about He's not called us to wrath, but rather to salvation. And this is God's wrath. He's not going to pour out wrath upon his church, right? He sent his son to die in our place (laughs) on the cross. So he's not going to pour his wrath out upon, you know, uh, his church. It's rather on a Christ-rejecting world. You see, God's grace is upon us as members of his church. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
Check harvestnyc.org for service times. You can reserve your seat by clicking on contact and then the register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to ask you to join us in praying for all those listening to Pastor Mike's teachings. Please pray for open hearts and open ears to hear and accept truth. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us today. We look forward to our continuing study of Revelation next time, here on In My Father's House. There's a place for